Peter Mahoro didn't grow up dreaming of a career in energy. I never wanted to do anything with science. I was the complete opposite of that. Um, uh, I was, well, when I was young, I was just a troublemaker. He actually started college with his sights on a business degree, but early on, a professor steered him towards physics. So um, no one even knew what I would ever become, right? Today, Peter is the Chief Strategy, Technology, and Innovation Officer at Rappahannock Electric Cooperative, or REC. In addition to managing REC's long-term clean energy strategy, he's also responsible for overseeing a massive grant to roll out technologies that will serve as the backbone of the energy transition. It's part of a whopping $10.5 billion in energy grants allocated by the Department of Energy's Grid Innovation and Partnership Program to fund grid improvement projects. It essentially covers um, how we approach looking at our next generation metering system because we know that's going to be very critical on when we look at more and more distributed energy resources, the integration and proliferation of electric vehicles and everything else that we want to see behind the meter. Peter says that after nearly 90 years of service, it's time for electric cooperatives to evolve. As we transition into a more cleaner, more efficient, uh, carbon-free um, um, electricity grid, uh, my job becomes even more and more critical because now we've got to do things not as we've always done them. It's not your grandfather's co-op anymore. And that means using all the resources REC has available to meet demand. We figured we're going to need every watt wherever it could be generated, right? And so if it's if it's all the way behind the meter, we're going to need it. If it's in front of the meter, we're going to need it. If it's, you know, and then we'll, we'll also need the bulk power. And that $38 million grant will help them use every watt by funding a new distributed energy resources management system, smart meters, and a fiber network. This is, gives us the opportunity, and I'll use the hot buzzword, right? Virtual power plants. This gives us the opportunity to aggregate those devices as well and be able to, and then the, the DERs, and be able to use them in a time when we know we're going to need the power more and more than ever before. And so that's what excites me when I look 10, 15 years from now. I can see the impact that this project will have um, on achieving those goals. This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. Some people say utilities are slow to change, that they don't innovate fast enough. And while it might not always seem like the most cutting-edge industry, there are lots of people working really hard to make the grid cleaner, more reliable, and customer-centric. This week, I'm speaking with Peter Mhoro, Chief Strategy, Technology, and Innovation Officer at Rappahannock Electric Cooperative in Virginia. Peter has spent his career working for electric co-ops. He served as the Chief Strategy Officer for the largest distribution cooperative in the U.S., Pedernales Electric Cooperative in Texas, and he's held other executive positions at associations and think tanks. So he understands the unique nature of the business. So the model is a little bit different. We don't have investors. Our consumers are our member owners. So if at any given time, my job entails providing, collecting the least amount of money while providing the best service that I can to my consumer. And that's the way I view what my job looks like every day. REC manages almost 18,000 miles of distribution lines, making it the second largest co-op in the country. How they manage that infrastructure will have a huge impact on the grid. So I started the interview by asking him why the member-owner model gives cooperatives an advantage to take on big system changes. We do everything from a very consumer-centric perspective. You know, when, when everyone started talking about we really need to be more consumer-centric and focus on consumers, electric co-ops have been doing that. So everything that we've ever had to do, 
we've always had to have the buy-in from our members. Our consumers have had to be engaged from the get-go. And so, um, while yes, there is an inherent challenge in getting the buy-in from your consumers, but if you educate your consumers ahead of time and show them the value that comes with this, and like I talked about how all these different things will be really the path to reliability, affordability, value, um, and all these different perspectives of it, it hits home with the consumers and they understand that we're focused on them. We're focused on getting them the best solution. And so, yes, we will have to do, we will have to continue to do more um, in terms of how we support our consumers um, and educate them more. But overall, I don't see anything that's going to slow it down. And, and in fact, if you do look at... Um, uh, uh, at electric co-ops just nationally, for example, over 60% already have AMI deployed. Another 30% or so have AMR deployed. We're, look, we're talking about AMI 2.0, you know, while we know there's some investor-owned utilities who are now just beginning to deploy AMI, right? And so uh, if anything, if anyone has been innovative, if anyone has been forward-thinking, if anyone has been able to do some of these things, it's actually the electric co-ops because we're, uh, not only are we nimble, we are going to do the right thing that's for the consumer because they own us. And so um, I think if anything else, it's a great opportunity and it allows us to even engage our consumers more. So you talked about some of the benefits of a co-op in in the energy transition. Are there, are there any kind of pain points that may be particular to co-ops as you work on that transition that are unique to you and maybe not uh, as evidence in, you know, IOUs or large municipalities? Absolutely. I think um, I think there's a challenge. And one of them I'll say is the speed at which we have to do this, right? Um, and that, that's a challenge for everyone. So, you know, today, do we have long duration storage available? Some, but it's not mainstream, right? Do we uh, have small modular reactors uh, readily available? We're getting there, right? But uh, when we look at this transition and how fast we need to do it now, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, we know we have to do something to address uh, everything we're seeing from a climate perspective, um, and and everyone should be playing their role as as human beings in society uh, to have a cleaner um, environment and 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 one that will be, you know, here for generations to come. But how quick we get to this can be a challenge. We're thankful that in some perspectives, we've been given some exemptions in, as electric co-ops because, um, for example, from a policy perspective, they can understand uh, the drivers for electric co-ops are going to be very different. And, you know, for example, maybe not have to retire some of the assets we have uh, sooner than we need to because, you know what, we may, you know, it becomes challenging to recover that, right? And so, you know, it's not like we could say, well, that's just going to go in a regulatory asset and we'll just recover it, recoup it in a rate case. We have to show our members the value of that and why this is important. And so in addition to that, um, you know, about 56% of the land mass in the U.S. is covered by, is powered by electric co-ops. That equates to about, a, if I'm not mistaken, if I still remember my statistics, it's about 2.4 million uh, miles of distribution line out there. Um when you think of the extent of serving rural America, it is very different than serving, you know, an urban area. So, um, if you look at traditionally electric co-ops, we collect the least amount of money to serve the the least the least dense area, right? And so, as we think of what is the transition, of, you know, what this energy transition looks like, 
how does it reflect, how it reflects in doing it in an urban area is very different from a rural area. So we could see some more challenges. And this is where we believe, for example, uh, DERs play a bigger role, where maybe where you've got those long lines, uh, maybe, you know, deploying some batteries, you know, downline, maybe what actually, you know, helps with this transition um, as we look at what the future looks like. So I think there's that additional piece of it there that um, when you look at electric co-ops serving rural America, there's the challenge of what it takes to serve rural America versus what it is in urban areas. Yeah, I saw I saw a person speaking at an event one time, and she was talking about she lived in rural North Carolina, and lots of her friends were buying like two of the Ford F-150 Lightnings because in addition to being great trucks, they also serve as battery backup power. And at first, I was a little surprised by that, but it makes sense, right? Like the needs of your rural customers are more so than those that live in, in urban areas. Uh, so I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, tidbit from her. So let's dig into that a little bit. We know the REC has a net zero by 50 goal. Uh, we talked about the DOE grant, which will help achieve that goal. But what else is it going to take? What other programs are you and your team working on to meet this net zero target? So to be to be, to be be very clear, ODEC, Old Dominion Electric Co-op, is who has the net zero goal by 2050. And that's our power, uh, our power providers. I said REC is specifically distribution. But so what we're working with with ODEC is ODEC has been looking at how to, you know, more and more renewable energy, adding more wind, looking at solar um, um, uh, throughout each of the cooperative service territory that they serve. So, you know, not just the large scale, you know, 200 megawatt, for example, we're talking, you know, small scale, five megawatt at this substation, five megawatt at this other substation. And, and so that's one component that, you know, that's somewhat of what ODEC has been looking at. From an RSC standpoint, um, I guess I mentioned a vividly brighter uh, suite of products and services, we're very bullish in saying we want more of our members to consider solar at the house, you know, put a battery in, look at electric vehicles. Uh, and, you know, and we're looking at ways we could even finance that to make it a little bit easier um, for the membership if we could do it on the electric bill and how we could go, you know, we're working on methodologies of how that can become a reality um, because it's a win-win uh, for everyone if we're able to do it that way at a low-cost financing um which we have different avenues that we might be able to, uh, that we can access some funds to be able to do that. So that's one area that we're looking at. But a key area that I think it's not spoken of much is I've always said the most expensive unit of energy is the one you do not have. And that is clear enough with the nearly a billion who are still not electrified today. But the second most expensive is the one that's not used efficiently, right? So how we focus on managed usage um, and looking at, you know, uh, how does, you know, for example, will smart smart panels be the future of how we manage usage at a home um, and, and what gets used at what time, right? And that kind of thing. And energy efficiency, making sure that you're not, you know, we're not seeing waste of energy because we believe that the less of it that we have to use, the more of it that maybe we could transition without having to build in excess of what we may uh, we may have traditionally needed. So we've been working on different programs to really help facilitate and enable um, energy efficiency programs um, within our uh, 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 within our footprint. And then lastly, and which I think is uh, is very unique to this, is we want to promote electric vehicles. We want to make sure that you know uh, more and more people. Um, get electric vehicles, but we also want to do it in 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 a wise way where um, we can help that 
uh, that adoption. So one of the things REC will be doing is we're getting into the owning of public charges, right? Um, and, and being able to provide that at, you know, environments where we know people will need it. And we've looked at our footprint and said, you know, if we position them here, 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 and here, um, it's a great win for our members where maybe they don't have a charge at home, but they can easily find a way to charge somewhere else. That takes away that anxiety, we're, you know, so we're pushing for that. We're also pushing at being the installer of all these things. I know it sounds a little bit wild to do it all, but, you know, and, and it's not just us as an installer. You know, we'll partner with local installers and the like, but we want to get there. We want to be there collectively being able to provide all those to um, our consumers. That's kind of how we're positioning ourselves to really help to uh, to work with ODEC to drive to this goal. So electrifying transportation is obviously playing a big role in, you know, helping decarbonize your service territory. And you, you touched on this, but there's there's an equity play here too, is we can't have, you know, certain members of our communities, you know, not being able to participate because it's too expensive. And knowing the EVs, the prices are coming down, but they're still pretty pricey. Can you talk about the things that you're doing to kind of focus on energy equity and make sure everybody within your service story benefits? Absolutely. So, you know, this is an interesting part because at the end of the day, um, from an equity standpoint, as us being the manager of the electrons, if we want to look at it that way, you know, we're co-op. So, you know, all our members essentially see the same benefit. But what we're looking at is how do we ensure that, you know, for example, um, as we make these upgrades, um, you know, what we look at and what we're studying very closely is saying, all right, where do we see the high adoption of electric vehicles? And we know it's going to be in certain areas, but the biggest challenge that would happen is what would be the cost of having to upgrade those areas, right, to to meet the challenges of if we don't do it ahead, if we don't do our upgrades in a very timely fashion, we've studied and looked at, you know, at what point do we begin to uh, transform as hitting nameplate capacity, right? Because the cost of upgrading those what ends up happening, it ends up leaving some left out, right? And so what we've looked at is saying, here's our service territory. We want to make sure that we begin planning ahead and, and making the right upgrades to address where we know um, the need is going to be, which means the ones, the areas that maybe will not accelerate fast enough will not be impacted by the cost of the upgrades in this area. Oh, by the way, while we're doing that, you know, what we're saying is every new construction um, that we're that we're trying to put out there, we're saying let's make sure it's EV EV ready. So if we have to, you know, put you know larger wires, you know, bigger conduit or whatever the case is, we want to make sure that we we're, we're thinking of it not from the traditional way of saying. We think we're gonna, you know, we project X amount of new load. We say, okay, we project X amount of new load plus X percent because we know that's what the electric vehicle uh, piece of it would be. By doing it this way, we're actually saying what we're saying is we're not gonna leave anyone behind, and everyone gets to benefit from this because for us, when I think of you know the the electric co-op uh, uh, perspective, all our members, you know, it's one member, one vote. So we want to make sure no one is left aside, and so. Part of what we're, we've started doing is uh, trying to partner with our dealerships, giving them information about REC and what we're doing in terms of, so then when any of our members go to the dealerships, they can truly understand, you know, okay, my co-op will be there. My co-op can help me get a charger. My co-op can do this. They'll understand that piece of it. And so we, we can get to them from various angles, including just our own traditional ways of educating them, including at every event. We always have several of our EVs there. We, you know, we showcase what charging is all about. We show our consumers the programs that we have. 
that's really what we've been doing to get out to every community, every neighborhood, but also making sure that the costs are spread in a way where no one is really left behind. Yep. With regards to the chargers, it's pretty unique that you guys are investing in that public charging infrastructure. I guess two-part question. One, what are some of the unique challenges of charging as relates to co-ops just because of some of the the rural nature of your customers? They're they're spread out. And so, you know, a concentration of chargers might be a little bit difficult to ensure nobody has kind of that that range anxiety. And then, you know, number two, because these are essentially member-owned, if I'm understanding it correctly, like how does that work? So if they charge, that price just ends up on their bill uh, because they're automatically kind of opted in as as members of those chargers? And are they pretty much agnostic to any EV? Maybe just digging a little bit on kind of some of the mechanics around that public charging piece that you guys are, are helping to support. We see our investment in the right place actually more of the level two than actually the DC fast chargers. And where we're investing in this is places where anyone spends anywhere between you know, 90 minutes to three hours or so. Because what we want to do is we want to give people the comfort to say, you can leave your house and come and charge and be able to get back home and you'll just fill up when you get there. So not only are we doing that, in many of these cases, we're partnering with our own members to do it, right? So that's kind of the approach we've taken now. What we haven't yet been able to do, which slightly because it's a challenge of regulation, um, we're actually not owning them as an electric utility we're going to own them as our wholly owned subsidiary, which is Vividly Brighter. And Vividly Brighter as a wholly owned subsidiary will be the owner and operator of these public charges. Uh, what it will allow is the capability of our membership. We're not there yet where immediately they can scan something and then, you know, we, we know it's the member and it just gets charged to their electric bill. We're going to get there one day, but we're not there yet. But that's the vision of where we see it going. But what we want to do is we want to be able to Work out the deal where, for example, if you're a member, you actually get a discounted rate uh, for being a member of the co-op. So the person who is not in the service territory driving through and just stopping to, yes, they'll pay one rate. But if you're a member, if we can make it happen and we, we believe we can, you know, if I could discount it by X percent, that's a big win for our membership. And going back to the, you know, equity side of it, we ensure that that no one is left behind and and, and we give that opportunity. So that's kind of the approach on how we're looking at taking this on and 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 really um, finding the way to provide that that solution to our membership. With all this great work around EVs, for context, how many EVs are in your service territory now, and how are you planning to see that grow, say, 2030 and, and 2050? We've modeled about a 30% adoption of EVs by 2030. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but we know the, how that hockey stick goes. We've seen it in many different technologies. We know... When you hit a certain point, you know, the U.S., I think now we're at, what, 6% of um, new sales is all electric. So we think that we could see, you know, um, and we, we model it. I know it's aggressive to say 30% by 2030, but we did it so that we could prepare for what that looks like. Now, remember, utilities, we don't move extremely fast. And, and so what we wanted to make sure is, even if it's not 2030, so let's say it's 2035, but are we really going to do that much in five years? No. So we probably might as well just plan as though it's going to be that high of an adoption by that time. So that's kind of where we began by looking at our modeling in terms of um, of that. By 2050, I could easily see, you know, 50% or more, or, you know, within our service territory. Today, we're still pretty low. We're still not as high. If I looked at new car sales, I do not believe Virginia in the service territory specifically, I do not believe we've gone past 1% uh, 
uh, and you have to understand where we're located, we're right between several major cities, Washington, D.C., Richmond, Virginia, Charlottesville, uh, clearly all our service territory. So, and then we, our service territory intersects with four major highways, I-95, I-64, I-81, and I-66. When I combine all those together, I'm going to see a lot of electric vehicles coming through my service territory, even if they're not part of the service territory. So my planning has to consider those folks as well who also look at some of our service territory as destination places to go. While we may not see the adoption from that perspective of growing fast, which we think it still will, we know that the fact that the surrounding areas force us to have to really look at it a little bit different. So we call this show with great power, which is a nod to the uh, the power industry, but also um, the old Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. What superpower do you bring to the energy transition? I think the greatest power that I could say I bring to this is maybe challenging the status quo. Um, there's one thing that I've always told my team, and at some point, I feel like I need to get a big sign that says, we've always done it this way with a big X on it. And that is one thing that I refuse to allow with any of my teams. Never bring up, we've always done it this way. Always bring up, but what if? In fact, the best way that I approach, and we've done this with most of our teams, is I try to live my life with a with an improv um, concept. Yes, and. Building on where, you know, yes, and we could do this. And so when I think of what I bring to the table, it's a yes, and. You know, we're doing the core of this, of what we've got to do as electric utility, and we'll get to the future of where we need to go. And that's kind of what I I see myself as bringing to the table is, while there are things that foundationally have worked well and we need to continue them working, there's some things that we need to change how we address them. And and, and I see myself as the conduit to get us there. I should say the catalyst and not just the conduit. <laughs> uh, I love that, especially with our GridX tagline of we are catalysts of our clean energy future. So very much aligned with, with that approach. Um, well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to more conversations. Peter Mohoro is Chief Strategy, Technology, and Innovation Officer at Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. With Great Power is produced by Gridex in partnership with Latitude Studios. Delivering on our clean energy future is complex. Gridex exists to simplify the journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emerging rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes Aaron Hardick, Dalvin Abawaji, and Stephen Lacey from Latitude Studios. The original theme song is from Sean Marquand. Roy Campanella did the mixing. The GridX production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. If this show is providing value for you, and we really hope it is, please help us spread the word. You can rate and review us at Apple and Spotify, or you can share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Brad Langley.